Hello, this is D.B. Richards from the 2300 Wrestling Podcast, and this season is dedicated to Bill Polarino. Rest in peace, my friend. Welcome, everybody, to the 2300 Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, D.B. Richards, alongside my sweet referee, Dave Keener. Why did you get tea and I got soda? How, how does that work? I mean, I thought I was the TA. Dude, do you think I have money for you? No, just... Just wondering. Okay, put that soda down. Put it down. Put it down. Your red solo cup. Go ahead. I'm lifting it up. No, no. uh, What are you doing? We're starting a show. I know, but... Sorry, Toby Keith's in the back of my head. What? I can't believe you. What? Red solo cup? Dude, you're you're upset about everything. You you called me up to shovel your pavement, and I said no, and you were upset about it. Because I was like, I have to get out of my driveway, and the roads are horrible. And then you said no. Out of the video game to help me out. But anyway, moving on. Who's the guest on our show? I don't know. No, it's your thing. I want you to do it today. No, you do it. No. It's your thing because I did the start. No, we're not shooting for it. Just, just announce them. No, you announce them. No. No, you. Rabbit season. Oh, my gosh. What are you doing? Dude, you always announce the person. But you can do it every now and then. No, it's not my point. I'm the guy that starts off the show. And you do the... Did you hear the announcement? It went like this. Welcome, everybody, to the 2300 Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, D.B. Richards alongside my sweet referee Dave Keener. See, that's how it works. I do that and you do the announcement. Who okay, do we have on tonight? Now I got the team in front of me. Well, I'm just reading my Bible until you guys get your act together. It is Sunday. It is Sunday. You're right. You're right. Yes. right. I, yeah. okay. That was earlier today for me. But it is the holy day. It is a holy day, and I do have holes in my jeans, too, so that's good. It's not oh, where we want to know where the holes are. Be nice. Yeah, no comment. Now, I don't know if I'm, gonna, I'm saying it right, and I, I might not be correcting if I'm wrong, and I apologize. It's not, that, it's not, it's not that hard. You just, the trick to it is just say it. There's no fancy... Um, uh, um, you know, emphasis on anything. You just blurt it out exactly as, as it reads. All right, Derek Benish? Almost, Benish. Benish. I was close. See, it's yeah, okay close. to try. That, that was the most common pronunciation, though, going through school, I will say. Ben, I, I, no, just say, keep it simple, stupid, as it says, the whole kiss philosophy. <laughs> I mean, people get my last name wrong all the time, and it's like Kenner, Keener, Kenner, uh-huh. Kerner. Like, no, it's just... Keener, get it right. Everybody gets my last name wrong too. Richards, 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 Richards. It's weird. How do you get Richards wrong? You, I mean, you are a dick nonetheless, so. They do call me douchebag. Yeah, that's why that's right, DB. Yeah. You're douchebag Richards. <laughs> Let's start off the show, you know what I mean? But I, I, I want to bring up a question. Like, like Bossy Bear said, moving right along. We're moving right along. Yes, we are. Got a question. Do you think wrestling fans are negative to the sport of wrestling right now? I think it's certain. Uh, I'm going to answer oh, the yeah, question. Well, go, ahead, go ahead and finish. Yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll be so, the rest of it. my whole issue with fans lately is they, they throw the race card in there, okay? Two of your top champions are ethnicity. There you go. Damian Priest. He's Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Roman Reigns is you know, Samoan. Roman Reigns is Samoan. Um, Seth Rollins is Spanish. You know, so why do you... Biggie Langston held the world title for, what, the past year before um, he lost in that four-way? Mm-hmm. You know? So why are we putting that race card in there when it doesn't belong in there? I, I, I think... 
I think if fans are going to say that, then they should know what they were talking about. Go ahead, Derek. Yeah, I, you know, it, 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 wrestling fans these days, it, it, I mean, obviously so much different. So, you know, certainly I grew up in, um, you know, largely the majority of the 80s, and I actually didn't become a wrestling fan until 1990. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my main organization was uh, the WWF at the time. That's what really lured me in as a fan um, and really stayed with the organization until just about 2008 and, and and I, you know, it was just becoming, I hate to say it, it was just becoming a chore to watch uh, Raw, you know, continue. And thank goodness for AEW because I took a sabbatical, very long sabbatical from 2008 uh, all the way till uh, the end of 2000, uh, well, I believe it was 2019. Wow. Um, and, th- and then when AEW, so that's why I'll have a lot of guys, you know, come up to me and talk about things that have happened in the past, like five, ten years or so. And unfortunately, it's just, it's way too many years had passed by for me to kind of go backwards. Uh, but, you know, I, I did see the direction, though, at the time, obviously. You know, I, I lived through really a phenomenal period of time. I lived through, you know, the Hogan era. I lived through the Attitude era, you know. And, uh, you know, when I say living through it there, it's, you know, not just watching the shows, but also attending to the attending to the events. I attended events, you know, a, a, across the um, uh, country uh, just due to contacts, uh, thank goodness, uh, uh, to them, uh, to some of the talent, or not, not talent, but uh, some of the folks that worked in the WWF merchandise department at the time, and I'll never forget that, because that was a huge influence in my childhood, but um, you know, just kind of going back there is that, I, you know, I, I really have seen a change in the way you know, kind of fans behave and really, I, I guess you could say, like, you know you have uh, folks like, you know, Cornette that want to blame uh, Vince Russo as the fawn uh, and as the devil of uh, wrestling, but in reality, that was, it, what Russo did uh, with kind of incorporating kind of more of the smarts uh, that was going to, it, it was going to happen regardless with the internet. It was impossible. The internet has had so much of an impact on wrestling. Now everybody's a critic. Everybody's encouraged to do social media and be their own content producer. So I think that overall as a, as a fan base that fans are just a lot more opinionated now and now they have much more of a platform now which encourages them with the internet uh, that they didn't have before, you know, prior to the internet days. All you could do is have conversations with folks and, and I think that they're feeding off of the uh, you know, what some would interpret definitely as negativity that they're seeing with other people, and that's largely putting ideas in their head. So we're becoming a lot more opinionated in this day and age with what we like and what we don't like. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, earlier today, I, br- I brought up, um, I blame everything on dirt sheets, social media. I really hate Dave Meltzer. You know what I mean? I missed the whole factor of, like, the I, surprise. I, I, and, and just to add, just because you brought his name up, Dave Meltzer, um, I do say, and whereas I was a subscriber to the Wrestling of observer newsletter you know that was you know going back in its print form days uh largely when it was circulated and i, I started um i met a uh, guy in college of my undergraduate degree kind of like uh, in the tail end or the uh, mid 90s um who was really responsible for kind of smarting me up and he introduced me to the new the wrestling observer newsletter so i started reading it reading the uh Meltzer. and whereas obviously you know when you're exposed to something like that for the first time you're intrigued you know now you're starting to see the business side of things but one of the things that Meltzer had really that I knew had uh, he had emphasized back then was the stars with that he would apply you know to each and every one of the matches uh, that would be whether it be on Raw Nitro you know one of the pay-per-views and I really think that fans that grew up after maybe 2000 or so uh, when the business was changing and, and it's like they have no idea I hate to say what they missed back in the 80s and the 90s and certainly they can look at me and say oh okay well people like me were just living in the past and 
everything. Well, I lived through both eras, you know, and yeah. I've experienced both eras. And my opinion is that, and it's only my opinion, but my opinion is strongly that the wrestling that we saw back then in, in those days was far superior, was far superior, I feel, to what we see today. And you can put on all the glitz and the glamour you want in your production values, but that's just window dressing, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's, it's the, um, um, you know, it's, it's all sizzle and, and no stake, you know, in the end result. But, yeah, to be fair, we, I mean, we do have a lot of very overly critical fans, but I do attribute Mel and his line of thinking in terms of treating wrestling more as a sport through those consistent match ratings. And that's what a lot of the younger fans grew up with. Um, and that's kind of shifted it from real entertainment, which I thought that most of us had, you know, the way we looked at wrestling when we were younger during those days to uh, kind of viewing wrestling as a sport. I see a lot more people that look at wrestling from a technical aspect today. And granted, that's kind of like the Ring of Honor niche style. Um, um, that it had, and I, I just think that if people want to watch a actual sport or they want to see, you know, people competing, that they're going to tune to MMA uh, or UFC. So, so why try to be something that you're not? Um, you know, wrestling has always, you know, and, and not ashamed of it. You know, it's been lowbrow entertainment, and and that's some of the things like the characters and everything that goes into it. the characters and the storylines. I always thought were really what drew. But again, people are a lot more vocal now, and you when you consider their upbringings to what they were raised on and, and heavily influenced, I think, by Meltzer. And now Meltzer, of course, is obviously uh, seems to be shifting his line of thinking uh, due to, you know, regardless of whether uh, whatever um, influences that might be kind of more to the AEW side, which I, I do feel is, is more in line with the old WWF style that we saw, that we grew up on. But I do feel that his line of thinking had a very negative influence on, you know, people look to him and say, oh, Meltzer is the god, Meltzer, you know, so it's his views. And people began parroting those views, and I think that he had a lot to do with how wrestling got to where we are today. Yeah, I kind of agree with that because I grew up with the Dave Crockett era and the Bill Watts and all that, back when it was wrestling, when it was a sport, when you could watch great wrestling from um, down south. It's still sport. Not what I'm getting at. People are getting more towards the death stuff now, and they want to get hit with light bulbs and put through glass plates, and where where's the technicality that we saw back then between Mr. Perfect and Scott Hall and you guys that knew what wrestling was, Jeff, like Jeff Jarrett back then. I feel like you're bringing this next question into this whole leeway, how we got there. There we go. So Segway. Segway in. Go ahead and ask the question. So do you feel that in the world of in the business of professional wrestling lately, there's no more... Storylines. Storylines. Why are we Why are we doing this ladder match? Why are we doing this thumbtack barbed wire? How did we get there? Like, it goes back oh, to Scott Hall and Bret Hart WrestleMania 10. The leeway, the lead up to it, you and mean all Shawn that. Michaels? You Shawn said Michaels? Bret, you said Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels. The, the same thing with Bret and Owen, and then because there were six months in between there, when Owen turned on Bret at Survivor Series, then you went to WrestleMania. Was WrestleMania 10? Was that one? Yeah. So. yeah. so there was storyline. Yeah, there was yeah, build-up. That was, that was, that was WrestleMania 10. I remember that was the uh, dual championship match right. with Lex Luger, Yokozuna, and then later on, Bret Hart facing Yokozuna and capturing the Perfect title. Perfect, and Piper came in. It was great. But the question is, I feel that there's no storyline, no leadway into it now. I, it's just 
you two are going to go do that. Go ahead. I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree with you uh, with the lack of sign. I have my, you know, again, all of us can only have our own opinions. I'm not saying I'm some type of prophet or anything like that. We can only draw our own conclusions as to why things are happening. But I completely agree with you. It's like the, the storyline aspect seems to be falling by the wayside. Uh, but yeah, uh, please continue though with, with your uh, question. I'm happy to, you know, kind of share my thoughts on it. Like last night, with the one CW stuff that we were going to do in Houston, Delaware last night, we had a good three months leeway into that cage match that was supposed to happen last night. Mm-hmm. There was a good leeway into it. There was a build-up. There was a storyline for it. That's one of the things that I actually like about that company is that there's storylines and there's leadways and stuff like that, which is, should happen now, and you hardly see that. But that was the question, and you answered it, so thank you. That is so yeah, much fun. I, 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 think, I, I think that um, that is largely kind of gone by the wayside. And that, and ironically enough, you know, just looking back in retrospect, you know, with growing up as a wrestling fan, it was, if you really think about it, the wrestling itself was maybe, you know, the match itself was maybe one of the least important things of a overall quality wrestling product itself. It's just that the standards had changed over years. And again, go back to Meltzer and his influences on kind of treating wrestling like, yeah, this is a true sport from a technical aspect. And I really feel that fans at the end of the day, and keep in mind again, I grew up as a WWF fan, so I'm speaking from watching that product and being a fan of that product. But, uh, uh, you know, that again, it was the largest organization still at the time, you know, in the uh, United States, is that fans at the end of the day just wanted to be entertained. So lots of times, the wrestling itself, it was everything else but the wrestling. It was the character. It was the character development. It was the quality of the program, the feud. It was the lead-up to the match itself that made you want to see two guys get in the ring, hash it out. Um, I think that w- one of the best examples I could think, SummerSlam 93, oh, I love that feud between Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler. The heat that was in that kiss feud the kiss my was foot absolutely that was absolutely unbelievable. And then they masterfully do it, like up to the pay-per-view itself, SummerSlam. They don't even have Lawler. Lawler comes out in crutch to try to, you know, say he's got a fiery car accident to get out of the match. Here, this was a match that looked like it was a bait and switch. They had Doink come out to wrestle Bret Hart. Uh, but then uh, Tunney came out, Dex Tunney, uh, and, and said, no, you know, you after Lawler got himself involved in the match, hit Bret with a crutch, um, kind of exposed that, yeah, it was a, a facade. And then they had them two fight anyway, you know, Lawler and uh, Hart, you know, with threatening Lawler for extension. That was absolute masterful storytelling. Lawler making fun of Brett's parents. Uh, the lead-up to that match was just absolutely intense. The heat was off the charts. I think that's largely what is missing from today uh, in, in, in wrestling is the characters and the storytelling. And you can't expect the audience to say, okay, Joe, Joe Smith is going to come out, let's say, in black tights and wrestle John Jones and do that match every single week, um, you know, and expect the audience. That, that's why the audience sits there like a bump on a log. Lots of times the audience sits in absolute silence, you yeah. know. And I, play I'd, with like, I'd like to survey. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to survey the WWE fans. One time. I say, why do you keep coming to this and watching and supporting the company, and you sit there at a show in, in dead silence? Yes. See, for me, it goes back to 1980, 81. I know it was like three, but... I remember watching on closed circuit television Andre the Giant tear that chain off of Hulk Hogan's neck and everybody like freaked. Like here's two friends, Andre turning on his best friend and and what happened to that? 
and stuff like that that you come back. Like storylines. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, uh, speaking and- of Andre the Giant, Andre and Jake Roberts. I, I just saw a post on social media about that uh, the other day because uh, they, uh, I believe that was WrestleMania Five, where Big John Studd was the referee, but Andre was afraid of, stri- of snakes, and yeah. you just mm-hmm. don't see this stuff anymore. It's like it, everything is so overproduced, and like I said, they don't put the effort into the storylines and characters and, and characters any longer and it's just it's a shame you know and, and like I said I, I have my opinions on that and working in consulting for about 10 years you know there's a couple different types of contracts one is you know you pay by you pretty much the hour you bill by the hour the other is fixed price contracts where you ha- where pretty much you're paid a flat fee regardless and you have minimal obligations that you've got to meet in writing to your client and I, I, I worked on a fixed price contract and um, largely I would see within the consulting world, it was basically, it was like, yeah, with this, you do the minimal amount of work for, you know, for, for the, uh, um, uh, you know, for, for, for the contractual agreement, because that way then you can work on building and getting other contracts. And I think that began to open my eyes. That, in my opinion, again, is what I feel that WWE is doing, is that they are doing the minimal amount of work because they have that quote-unquote fixed-price contract with the television networks. So they're largely working just as in the consulting world. They're 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 doing. You know, you see it. The effort is simply not there any longer. So uh, you know, the tele- obviously the networks aren't as happy with the ratings with what they were promised. They're you know they're not getting that. But that's what WWE is doing. Is they're taking advantage of these fixed-price contracts. Yeah. Okay. Let's. Oh yeah, I agree. I want to go. I want to go into your career right now. What got you into getting into the business and. And who trained you and all and all that fun stuff? How did we get there? How did we get there? <laughs> well, I guess my first thing is, so I was, um, ever since, you know, I, I began watching in 1990. So was, granted, we were approaching the tail end of the uh, of the Hulk Hogan, you know, years in his prime. Again, like I said, that, those were my largest influences. Um, but ever since that time, I had always dreamed about, I had no interest in wrestling. I'm not an athlete by any means. I don't pretend to be. Uh, but I had always loved the manager. I always flocked to the heels basically and just you know and I, and I truly grew up in the golden years of managers with you know gentlemen who I didn't realize at the time there to his importance but Bobby Heenan again became still to this day universally regarded as the greatest manager in wrestling history um, so him Jimmy Hart I love Jimmy Hart with his colorful jacket Lick uh, just with his, his dancing slick. and he's and, still uh, working oh, I too oh I, I know I saw him and I, I think he did something with um, Andy um as well too um, at yeah, a show. and he's also been up in the New York area doing stuff for ISPW yeah so, so that's that's great yeah Slick is unfortunately still one of the great four between him Jimmy Hart um, you know uh, Bobby Heenan and Mr. Fuji that, uh, that are left alive and Jimmy Hart there too I, I still have not yet met Jimmy Hart yet to, uh, to say but I, I loved him as well too like I said with all the tailored colorful jackets and the megaphone at ringside uh, but and of course obviously throw uh, sensational Sherry in there as well, too, just was one of the great. But the um, guy that yeah, came I mean, out. I, go ahead. Sorry, the guy that came out with Dino Bravo. What was his name? He had oh, the, the Frenchy little, Martin. Frenchy Martin. Martin. Yeah. Yes, Frenchy Martin. Yeah, and, th- and then eventually Frenchy, I guess, had left or his contract run at, uh, ran out. I know he still performed as enhancement talent. I saw him mm-hmm. at some of the house shows back then. But yeah, it was largely it was the managers that got me, and I just I love the good versus evil. I love the antics at ringside, seeing the managers secretly, you know, get their come up and you know at the end. But I always thought that. 
that you know, they had such an influence on uh, uh, on the actual product. And again, you go back to fans today and they say, oh, well, so-and-so, they don't need a manager. They can talk just fine. And any fan like that, I say, you, you, you can tell that those are younger fans because they, they didn't grow up in the era of managers where not everyone that had a manager necessarily needed a manager. But like Rick Rude, Rick Rude never needed Bobby Heenan, but it's the package together that made it work splendid. Uh, Heenan and, you know, Rick Flair, Heenan was really largely retired, but they still paired, paired them together. Uh, Honky Tonk Man and Jimmy Hart, you know, they didn't necessarily need each other. Perfect. But, uh, the package together made it work and made it magical. So it's not just the talking aspect, but it's what goes on at ringside and Correct. the antics of right. the manager at ringside and the match finish, the match outcome. Sometimes the manager's interference can lead, can lead to victory for their uh, for their guy. Sometimes it backfires and costs their guy the victory. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it, it gives variety to the match itself. So for me, just kind of going back with your question, I had always uh, kind of really wanted to be a manager. So it, it had taken me <clears throat> probably, uh, it was 2006, that's when I uh, noticed on social media, and then of course, you know, that's you talk about one of the, uh, you know, so the advent of social media where uh, local um, organization, EWA, was looking for a uh, ring announcer. And I always, funny thing is, I was always, I would always uh, try to emulate some of the best ring announcers and enjoy doing that and uh, in my Howard Finkel voice, you know, back then. But then I, you know, eventually altered it and everything to my own voice there too. So I eventually uh, became a ring announcer, auditioned and became a ring announcer uh, with uh, Eastern Wrestling Alliance in Maryland uh, with Jim Christian's group and still work with them to this day. Uh, but I wound up getting a position in the West Coast. Uh, so that, that had only lasted for about a year. Um, so, but then the timing of it had just worked out that, uh, like I said, I was starting to just to get out of wrestling because I was becoming very bored uh, with WWE's product at the time and it was becoming a chore. So between the combination of moving to the West Coast and that, that had just largely gotten me out of wrestling. Um, and, and like I said, I, I took a hiatus. I took a very, very long hiatus. Um, almost uh, you know, about four, you know, about 13 years or so. And um, eventually, like I said, it was really AEW that brought me back and I had such high hopes uh, for the organization and, and I think they're doing so many things right in this day and age they're kind of you know again they brought a lot of disenfranchised fans back uh, which is awesome and um, at that about that same time uh, I had a call uh, or um, somebody had messaged me uh, from EWA and say hey I know it's been a long time but would you have any interest in, in ring announcing this uh, the show uh, again and I said sure you know because it's it just the timing once again had worked out uh, um, and then at that point, um, I had met uh, Rico Hendrick, uh, who was with EWA as a student, and um, and and you know, and he was working on doing a show on his own and promoting it himself. You know, using like the EWA facilities and ring as a student, which you know Jim allowed him to do. And I kind of put a bug in his ear, thinking I said, you know, hey, you know, I'm happy to ring it out there for you. I wouldn't mind nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, being a manager though so, as well. So, and of course, what's going on in the back of my, my mind? I'm thinking to myself, well, even though. Um, uh, you know, e- even though it's been a long time, and obviously I'm, cer- uh, but I'm certainly not getting any younger. So it's e- it really is either now or never. You know, as far as doing this in, in the indies and having a good time and enjoying yourself. And uh, to, to, his, to his credit, and um, you know, uh, uh, obviously very grateful for the opportunity. He said sure. Uh, so and, and he said sure, you can manage me. And uh, so that's kind of really where it went off from there. I really owe him everything. Uh, 
Um, you know, since then we've worked, like I said, SWO. Uh, we've worked, of course, one CW. You know, and I do um, EWA to this day. You know, as well too. So it really thanks to Rico. Now, your your question as far as the training uh, goes, no, I mean, I, I, I I've not really had any formal training per se as a manager. I did actually. I, I attended. Now, granted, I took a couple uh, classes uh, at, um, uh, at at some of the uh, uh, like. I, I went up like the office school, for example. And, and oh my god, and that's a great <laughs> one. Here, here I was thinking for a tryout. I never knew that the wrestlers were expected to be in the same conditions as managers. I was like, oh my god, I'm never going to get through this. I tell you, driving up from Harper County, Maryland, to Hazleton, and then driving back, drive back that had never been my the pain that was in my leg. My legs were like rubber getting back from how many squats that I did that day. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know how it just it opened my eyes and saying, I, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in this physical condition. You know, I just want to go out there and shoot my mouth off and take a bump and take bumps and you know and things like that. So that that's kind. Of, so to answer your question, no, I, I honestly and, and it's it's funny. I know he didn't himself when he started back that he didn't. And not that I'm comparing myself to him by any means. I mean, uh, but he himself actually didn't have any formal training. But uh, no, yeah. As far as yeah, can I, can I do basic back bumps and things? Sure, you know, I, that, that, you know, they're relatively simple to do. And uh, but no, it's it's. It's, if, if I'm expected to do a move, you know, or so, then we just talk about it prior to the show, you know, and, and kind of work as we go. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that the companies that I work with have given, you know, certainly the opportunity to work with me. I guess, you know, join my work and everything that they, they've taken that uh, chance with me. That's amazing. Like you, like when I went to 1CW, you were the person that I was like, wow, this dude's awesome as a manager. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, it kind of goes back to, I mean, I guess the training, the training, I guess if you want to say, is just all those years of religiously watching television, of studying the greatest managers, you know, of all time work and what they do at ringside. That, you know, per se, I guess you could say in terms of training, that was my training. You yeah. know, so, so you, you can kind of see it, like yeah. I said, so I, I, that's what I miss from wrestling today. I don't feel that managers, are, you know, thank goodness, again, AEW has brought managers back. I think that's a huge step in the right direction. Uh, Vince has kind of been very obviously sours towards uh, managers and I think his philosophy is to hit. I mean Vince I feel has gone in the direction of his passion I feel for wrestling is completely gone and I think that you see that through like the different areas that he's tried to get himself involved in you know whether it be the XFL whether it be politics whether it be movies and things like that he wants to create more of a global enterprise but his passion I feel for wrestling is gone hence that's why again we go back to doing the minimal amount of work for you know the return being what you know the financial stuff i think his sole passion nowadays is just literally making as much money as possible and that's how billionaires i guess get off it you get off measuring my wealth stick is bigger than your wealth stick and that's that's what becomes their drive in life and um and and you know again he's kind of he's applied that philosophy towards all the cost cutting that he's done you know over the years all the talent that he's released now just recently despite record profit um putting again the least amount of work in from the creative aspect you know as i i think it shows that 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 is his philosophy now so again really thankful uh seeing that some managers you know are, are being brought back do i still think they could be used to greater potential absolutely you know than what's currently going on in aew 
but I really, you know, try to pay tribute with what I do, how I dress and everything to the ma- the great managers that I grew up with. I agree with you. I totally agree. Um, I, I, I love managers. I love I love everything in wrestling. I study everything. I study from the referee. Uh, who was the first manager you ever saw, Derek? Um, well, I mean, it was, I, I would say probably it was, uh, when I, when you say saw, I guess meaning maybe on TV. Um, yeah. Versus in, in TV, um, it, it was actually Jimmy Hart. Uh, it was the segment going back to 1990 with Earthquake, uh, who appeared on the Brother Love show. And uh, I did, the, did the Earthquake uh, splash the Hulk Hogan three times, quote unquote, mm-hmm. putting him out of wrestling. Uh, J- I just love hearing Jimmy Hart and his squeakly voice, you know, uh, just gear him up, you know, and encourage him like the little insignificant, you know, uh, cheerleader in the background there to encouraging him. Okay, again, do it again, do it again, baby. Right. You know, and, and through his megaphone. And so Jimmy Hart was really the first one. And I, and I thought his wardrobe was awesome. You know, that he would get jackets and tailor the, his jackets towards each, get them airbrushed towards each one of his individual talents. So it was then that, and then I began seeing Heenan. You know, now, obviously, obviously, if I would have started watching a little bit earlier, it probably would have been Heenan, you know, at the time. Because, you know, Heenan obviously right. had largely fused with Hogan. But I think because that, that happened for a couple of years, they were giving Jimmy Hart a chance in the top, you know, five with Hogan working a main program with Hogan and so it's just timing as far as how it worked out. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would say yeah, and of course Jimmy Hart was on the first house show that my dad took me to in uh, Baltimore, Maryland at the Baltimore mm-hmm. Arena at the time. Headline Her- Earthquake and Jim Duggan. Wow. Uh, so, so yeah. That's pretty cool. DB, who's first manager you ever saw? My boss. <laughs> <laughs> in wrestling, I mean. It was Heenan and um, Jimmy Hart. See, I've been watching for a long time and the first one I saw... Captain Lou, I forgot about him. Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Oh my goodness. That kind of goes back into another topic, like a baby face mailman. Right. Too. Uh, now, obviously, he was largely heel at the time in WWF, yeah. so they, you know, he's used as a face, though, like with Bam Bam, I remember. Right. He managed Bam Bam back in the early 80s. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget Gary Hart. Gary Hart's Oh my an God, all, Gary Hart. Gary Hart is an all big. Well, if, if you're going that route to USWA, then you got to bring in General. Um, Skandor Akbar. What about Colonel Parker? Yeah, that was WCW. So, like, we always forget about the women managers out there, like Sherry, Sherry and Elizabeth, Baby Doll, Luna. Luna. Uh, yeah, but it goes back to Baby Doll, who was out there with um, Steve Austin when Austin was down there in, in Smoky Mountain in USWA and Global back when he had the long blonde hair. Yeah, don't forget and Sunshine, Elizabeth. Sunshine and Precious with uh, right. Yeah, with, and, with, and the uh, girl that was yeah, with the, the Freebird. um, Freebirds. Yeah, Precious. Yeah, so, Jimmy, Jimmy's wife. So, yep. I want to ask you a question. What was the best advice? you've been given by anybody like managers or wrestlers whoever out there don't be 12 you love saying well, don't be 12 <laughs> so, so um you know and I, and I the advice wasn't necessarily it was obviously wasn't given to me as a person but uh um i do remember the famous quote in Ian's book about you know kind of uh, you know you, you want to wrestle like a manager and manage like a wrestler and so when i'm out you know at ringside you know i i try to uh you know uh just you know I try to incorporate that manage like a wrestler, you know, on the outside, whether it be just through interference, just through sneakiness, uh, trying to get involved, you know, uh, try to really engage the crowd. Just like, you know, you're in the ring as a worker and, you know, you're doing your best to get crowd involvement. You know, the manager is obviously there to largely support the talent during slow portions, you know, perhaps the match, maybe a rough hold is taking place. Uh, so the manager is there to kind of gear up the crowd and, and, and certainly engage the audience, which I absolutely love doing. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that his 
his overall Heenan's philosophy of that is something that's largely incorporated, you know, uh, you know, whenever I manage. And it's, you know, again, it's just uh, just so many years of just watching, you know, uh, decades of just watching, um, you know, your greatest managers in action, just taking the actions of that they did to get it to, to really kind of draw attention, you know, and I think the art to it is really supporting, you know, your talent. But, you know, a, a lot of managers, I think more recent managers were, are like almost at function like a mini me. Like if we're going to have a manager and of course in WWE, you can't call managers anymore. Uh, Vince doesn't like that word. But like well, the people that I, they I think would the word have, now is advocate. Yeah, advocate exactly with with Heyman, and, and don't get me—I I, I, love—I love Paul Heyman. Um, I, he is right up there um, with the greatest managers I feel like of all time. But I think it's sad. And one of the greatest minds. Oh, absolutely, with, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I, I also attended, you know, some ECW shows back then. So you know, a lot of history, um, really, that I lived through. But you know, a lot of today's people that will quote unquote stand at ringside, you know, for for the you can't call managers. It's like they function as mini me, and I guess again. And I try to practice. No, managers are really their own person. You know, uh, they're, they're a character just like anybody else. You know, um, um, it, again, did, did Heenan, uh, uh, did he change himself, you know, for each of the talents that he that he managed? You know, yeah. is Jimmy Hart, okay, well, Jimmy Hart, you know, he supports his talents through uh, through his various promotional, through his suits. You know, he'd wear his Earthquake jacket when Earthquake came out, the Mountie, you know, he'd wear his red tuxedo and stuff, which I thought was awesome. But he was still Jimmy Hart. Part at the end of the day, and and that's what I still try to function as is that I, I'm I'm my own person, you know. I'm there to enhance the show, yeah. um, as opposed to kind of being like a mini me for any given talent. I give a lot of credit to Jimmy Hart because if he's booked oh, on the show awesome. now, yeah. he's put, he's putting up the chairs. He's put he's doing. Oh, everything. I've seen he's it. Doing... I've seen it. That that little guy has got so much energy, and a lot of people didn't realize that that he he started his career, of course, uh, singing as as a uh, backup with the Gentry, you know. So his, his his career really started rock and roll, and hence that's why he had the kind of the rock and roll. Uh, like you know, he'd wear a lot of his suits with music notes and did a lot of the writing, obviously for uh, um, you know for a lot of the talent for their entrance music uh, back then as well too, along with Jim Johnson. My gosh, he he was amazing too because like he was on that um, Andy Kaufman feud, one of the best yeah. wrestling feuds I ever seen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I love. I know Andy Kaufman wasn't a wrestler, but. God damn, he got people pissed off, and I love that. That's one of the reasons why I always toured to the heels, because I love the part of I want to be the a-hole that I can to piss off everybody out there. And I miss that, you know what I mean? I miss wrestling wrestlers doing that stuff, getting trying to get people to go stab them in real life, you know what I mean? Really don't want that yeah. to happen, but... Yeah, and, and I guess my, my approach to wrestling is that it's, it, you know, it, it, we're all going to have kind of like our, our, our different philosophies, and it, it's okay to have different but um, I, I mean, I guess I had really viewed wrestling as no different than what you see on television and what you see in the movies. And that it, you know, if it's done in television and it's done in the movies, wrestling is really no is is really no different. So sometimes you know you might do some controversial things in television and movies, but people realize at the end of the day that you're watching a show. So I mean, I, I do think that kind of you know the shifting towards political correctness and so forth. You know, we talk about kind of fans sitting like 
like bumps of logs and a lot of shows these days, but in large case, a lot of fans have done it to themselves, you know, with, with kind of shifting, um, you know, in, in, in certain directions like that, because it's really taken, you know, potential elements out of, you know, some potential really good hot storylines that you could do. Oh my gosh. Yes. Another thing I, I, I want to bring up this next question in a way, um, cause I'm, I'm against like the whole pet peeve thing and I have pet peeves for everything. It's like, I'm watching a referee and he's wearing red shoes and I hate it. I hate oh, it. I, agree, I agree too. There's, there's, there's with the referees there too. Referees. I, I do feel, and I know this has come under criticism on the internet, uh, just in social media with a lot of like the referees and AEW drawing way too much attention, you know, to themselves and pop at, like opening their mouth, like at, at, at every other move, you know, that a talent does just like in disbelief to try to add to it. But yeah, I, I do agree that referees should kind of be adhering to it. I agree completely with you, uh, with, you know, there's certain professionalism you see on the indie referees that, that come in their shirt on top and things like that. And I'm like, you know, how do you expect anybody to treat your organization seriously without standards like that, you know? Oh yeah. People being in the wrong spot. Wearing jeans, wearing jeans or something, you know, it's just, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Yeah. That's my pet peeve of the world. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm, there's a lot of things that Dave hates. Being, being in the wrong spot when you're counting your shoulders down. There was a referee. I'm not a big fan of him, so I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to put him out there. But I watched him count at somebody's feet, and I'm like, "Dude, you're and he's oh, wow. at the feet. He's, he's looking at the, the sheet and he's doing the count." And I'm like, "Wow, that's not where his shoulder is." And he looked at me and he got pissed off and cussed me out. And Kaner's like, "Yep, he's done." <laughs> yeah, I, I make sure he's never on any shows I'm on. Yeah, and we did a show last Saturday, and we did a meet and greet, and the fan asked. Who's the worst rap you ever worked with? And this guy was on the top of his list. Oh, the wrestlers said yeah. they, they weren't yeah. a fan of his. No. Yeah, for he, I don't know. I know. Um, your 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 boss, Sean Carlson, was looking for a referee. Called him up, and he did a no show. So. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Yeah, I, I think nope. he's not coming to one CW no. anytime oh. soon. Trust me, I if I'm ever repping on a show, I ask who are the other reps are. Yeah. And I, I have my pick of reps who I love to work with. I can name five right off the top of my head. Don't please don't. No, no, I, I don't, don't, don't want to get you over. Them, yeah, okay. But one of them has one of the most hilarious laughs I've ever heard, and he's just great to work with. Oh gosh, you're talking about him. I love yeah. him too. <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm a, I, yeah, I'm opinionated, but I truly am a humble guy. At the end of the day, aside from you know the opinions, you know, just being strongly opinionated about things, I know it have to be about me here. <laughs> right, <laughs> and I mean when, when we did the last one CW show, so yeah, and and, and I gotta say too, just you know, just with all the guys, you know, just that. I've met there too. It's just you know the SWO crowd, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, staff that works there, just the guys, the workers, and everything. One CW, absolute class act, and so happy, you know, just being part of just uh, company. You know, it's, and this, I'm very big. You know, they say that one of the things with millennials, which I'm not, I'm a Gen Xer, but the big things with millennials <laughs> being too. genuine is, is authenticity and being genuine, and and I, that's why I, say I really you have so much talent, so much. Staff, it's just you're working with genuine, nice people, and that 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 really is just it's it's a blessing. Just in many cases to be working with, um, you know, really class acts there too. So when big you, thanks to those. When you get guys. the chance to meet Matt Tremont students, I'll tell you they mm-hmm. are the nicest kids that ever came out yeah. of that school. They come up to you. You're not even part of the no, show. They were taught well. They're like, yeah. thank you for letting us be here. I'm like, well, I don't work here. Mm. <laughs> 
And I mean, yeah. And, hey, Matt, and Matt. one of the, one of the things too is that you know we're, we're you know I, obviously I'm old school in terms of the end product that I like, but I'm not a fan of the old school methods that a lot of teachers and and, and a, lot, and a lot of the schools that they implied there. Uh, it just you know like for example, I remember when Sherry had talked about being first trained. She said, uh, got, I guess her first he wanted to see if she was tough enough, and she got slapped right in the face, and 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 she replied back, "Is that?" the best you got and I'm like absolute respect for her but that should have never happened to begin with and I think a lot of times there's the psychology and, and, and bullying you know that, that for lack of a better term that happens in a lot of these places because it becomes a control thing right. and I just I, I would love to see us move forward and clean that old school mentality when it comes to training students and the, the you know really up and start treating people like actual people you know you're a person you're a student you deserve respect um, uh, you know, j- just like anybody else, and 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 we have a work professional working relationship together, just like more of an employer as opposed to some of these real old school, in some cases maybe brainwashing tactics that they do to maintain control over students. See, the way I was grown up in the because I was brought into it because my brother is who he is. Um, I was always taught that as soon as you walk in the building, shake hands. Mm-hmm. Introduce yourself, say hi, blah, and give blah, blah, big blah. hugs to everybody. Right. Lately, yeah. I hardly see that anymore. I, I, like, yeah. I don't even see them wiping feet when they get in the ring anymore, and I do it every single time. Dude, you weren't mm-hmm. watching me. I was wiping my feet getting well, in the ring. Well, I know you were. I wasn't talking about you. Oh, okay. I, I see these guys, and pardon my language, I see some of these guys that don't think their shit don't stink. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and no, and I'm going to tell you, like, if I walk in the building and you don't say hi to me, I'm going to walk up to you every single time. Like, we had a girl. We did a show last Saturday, last Sunday, for Super Crazy. We were hanging out, and one of the photographers never came up and said hi at all the whole entire time. Everybody else did, except for this one person. And we were ragging on her about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but moving on. Okay, we have a um, question called Table 5. So, you're the fifth person at the table, okay? You need to put four more people sitting at that table. Four, yeah, four. He's holding up four fingers, yeah, four. There you go, yeah, four. I can always hold up one finger. And they have to be managers that you will love to sit at the table with you. You Mm -hmm. can make it dead or alive. That's a pretty good one. Um, Yeah, have fun with that. (laughs) Have fun, okay. Well, um, I probably would have to go with... um, um, uh, Bobby Heenan uh, being the first person at the table uh, and, and certainly Jimmy Hart as well too. Paul Heyman uh, would be right up there um, as well. And as far as the fourth uh, person, um, I probably um, I probably would go with uh, I probably would go with actually Gary Hart um, uh, be, being up there as well too. I, I, I think that Gary Hart is probably one of the most underrated managers um, uh, that, that out there that doesn't deserve the credit that he maybe should get, but um, but just in terms of his style, his interviews, and and so forth. So I think I would bring someone in like from that area. So Heenan, Heyman, Jimmy Hart, and Gary Hart. Okay. Four H's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he did four H's. Wow. That was not planned. No, that wasn't well, planned. No. Wow. That is th- uh, that, 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 that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's that, that the is first. first. First was three H's. Holy. 4-H's. Four 4-H's. Four four, I'm, I'm sorry, 4 So it's the 4-H club. The 4-H club, yes. That's right. Oh, 
I like it. Wow. So we have an all question that Uh-oh. it's called the three matches of hell. Okay. I hated that cage. <laughs> I swear I did. So it has to be, you have to give us three uh, matches that you managed that you loved. And then your all time favorite, like growing up of managers in the business and the matches that they did. Yeah. The matches they did or evolved. Yeah. Okay. So three matches that I loved uh, that had managers in them. Is, yes. that, is that right? Yes. And the okay. other one is you. As your manager okay. of your favorite matches that you did. Okay. So as far as uh, three matches that I watched growing up that I loved, uh, and man, I wish I could do that uh, Lawler versus Bret Hart match at SummerSlam, but I can't <laughs> because uh, there was there was the manager really at ringside for that. Yeah. But um, I think that um, Lee um, versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three um, with Heenan at ringside. Um, Heenan had uh, it, it was amazing just kind of watching that the reaction action that Keenan had just and and of course, that's when they had the little cart come in the ringside. The injury, I so miss those. Yeah, uh, the golf cart. Uh, that is done at, exactly. At, and I, re- I can only imagine uh, that they don't use them anymore because maybe they think that, it, from a security standpoint, that wrestlers are kind of trapped in them or talents trapped. If someone wants to throw something at them, but yeah, there was a lot of trash being thrown uh, at at Heenan and uh, Andre the Giant on the way there. So the heat was kind of you know unreal. And when um, they were in the that. ring, I remember that too. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, um, so that that would definitely be one of that. Also, another interesting one was, uh, and even though I think they really hated working with each other, and I know Heenan never liked them, but Ultimate uh, Warrior versus Ravishing Rick Rude at SummerSlam '93. Um, that that was the cage match, yeah. and um, if you remember, Heenan kind of slammed the door, <laughs> you know, in, in Ultimate Warrior's face, and I thought it had production it had the best close close up on Heenan's face with a smirk, just like a sly smirk uh, after he did it. Uh, and then, of course, eventually he got his uh, uh, when he got pulled into the ring. Uh, but but that was something that that was uh, really uh, th- that was really memorable uh, for me as a kid. And let me see, as far as the third match goes, um, I probably oh, go ahead. No, 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 I love no, no, we were just laughing about that. Oh, we love that. Oh, okay. I love that. That was awesome. It's like Chevy Chase and Caddyshack. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, as far as the third match. Goes. I you know one of the ones that I um uh, one of the concepts that I really loved was uh, the old school Survivor Series and uh, there there was a uh, because from a manager aspect lots of times you would get managers teaming up uh, with other with other managers depending on what the team was so there was this uh, so seeing Jimmy Hart and Slick come out uh, with Dusty Road team taking on the Big Boss Man team in uh, Summer excuse me Survivor Series nine. 1989. I absolutely love the interaction just between Jimmy Hart and Slick. Um, there was another similar match where Jimmy Hart and Slick both worked together at SummerSlam. Um, uh, SummerSlam 89, as a matter of fact, it was Rick Martell with the Rougeau brothers. So seeing managers kind of coordinate themselves and, and you know, patting each other on the back and having one get up on the ring while the other starts getting into the ring. And, you know, one get up on the ring to distract the referee while the other one uh, gets up and kind of does their thing. Um, I, I just, I, I get the biggest joy out of it um, and, and you know just seeing two uh, uh, two of the um, um, uh, you know kind of instigators kind of working together so uh, yeah and really any match with uh, but I, I love that Survivor Series as a matter of fact it, it was also memorable too because you had a loner 
Baker in Bad News uh, Brown, uh, Bad News Allen, that was in the in the big boss band team, I guess had to step in, I think, for the winner. No, it wasn't the winner. It was, uh, he had to step in the match. And, of course, the funny thing is, and even they were talking this up on commentary, there's like, you know, Bad News is loaded. This kind of uh, event is not his forte. And um, and sure enough, boss man hit him by accident, and Bad News wound up walking out, you know, leaving the uh, leaving a man down on the team. That is, that is so much of the stuff that I really miss. Um, Dusty Rhodes uh, taking on boss man and, uh, or a team, I should say, in singles matches. Seeing them, uh, you have Dusty Rhodes, Sapphire, Slick, Akeem all dancing, you know, at, at Madison Square Garden. Crowd getting on Slick's case and everything. But yeah, I tell you, fans, they absolutely love that gimmick with Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire together. I know the big thing about the and I, I realize I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, so I apologize about that. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, <laughs> uh, it just it goes back into my passion, like I said, that I love. Um, dude, as far that, as the it's, old- one of, it's one of the reasons why I'm loving this so much. I have a smile, like, dude, this is uh-huh. an awesome interview so far. <laughs> oh God, thank you, thank oh, you. I thought so you were just hungry. <laughs> So, um, as far as the all-time uh, favorite match that I was involved with, um, I probably would um, have to go with, um, and, and it was really, it was, it was a, um, uh, it was really kind of uh, just an honor for me, just because it was, you know, kind of the main event, really, with one CW. Or, or no, it was um, uh, for one CW. It would, it would have to go with uh, Bad Bad Bang versus uh, uh, Models Millennium. I, I think I really enjoyed uh, that match, just for the honor, just of really being in the main event um, that day, just just being at ringside for him. We did we did a little thing with the uh, with the uh, wine as well too, where I, I was pouring it in Miles's uh, mouth, and I said, "Oh, it would be so cool if we did like an Indiana, we repeated like an Indiana Jones thing, you know, just try to you know where Indiana was forced to drink the blood of Kali Ma and 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 kind of you know put him Kali under uh, that spell, and and, um, and I did that, and uh, and he spit it right back out in my face, and he got the biggest chuckle. I, I, yeah, I'd go back and review the tape and see the audience members laughing, you know, and, and that put a smile on my face, seeing that it brought joy, you know, to, to the fans' face. So I, I think that's solely because it was part of the um, the main event. Uh, I will say for FWO, by far, my favorite match was, uh, it was a tag team match with uh, Sonny Kiss and Ace Dallas taking on uh, Rico Hendrick um, and uh, Tim Rush. And uh, just, it was literally deafening in the building uh, that night in Seven Valleys. It's just a crowd absolutely loves Sonny, uh, and crowd really loves Ace Dallas up there too, but definitely an honor just uh, being in that match, being at ringside for that, interfering in the match, um, and the crowd just literally just booing the hell out of me, you know, just when, when I was doing just like kind of like my opening monologue to introduce Rico Ford, so I'm going to say those two, for two different reasons, were really my favorite matches uh, that I've been involved in to date. You got one more? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm I thought we were just doing the favorite match, I didn't think we were doing uh, three, three of my... Yeah, yeah. Three, three. Yeah, so, that's um, the game. That's the game. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, and you know how to or, play it? Uh, what's that? He said, that's the game. And I said, I bet you know how to play it. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I think my other favorite would probably be the casket uh, match also uh, that I was involved with, with Rico and Ace Dallas at SWO as well, too. Again, uh, the, the SWO audience really up there is just they're so into the matches. Um, and 
um, they just have, having a casket match take place and, and just the heat in the building. Uh, we're trying to stuff Ace into the casket there too. I really, really just in, in, enjoyed that match. I think I was in a, I was in a purple suit, uh, that night. And I, I far, as far as my wardrobe goes, my, my goal is trying to really wear a different outfit for every event, um, that I appear on. So I try to, I try to vary it up so the audience never sees me in the same suit twice. So, uh, now that's, that's not necessarily across promotions, but like on a per promotion level, I have to cut it off somewhere. Spending <laughs> ridic- ridiculous amount of money uh, just on that stuff, but I think that just changing up your appearance is so so important. You know, and uh, you would see the managers wear big suits and big fancier suits. You know, for the like the mate for the big matches on pay per view. So again, I try to incorporate that mindset um, in, into kind of my like my management style. So there's a legend that I work with named King Kalua. Okay, uh, I don't know if yep. you've ever had a King Kalua or not, but I King, have. King Kalua he always walks in dressed to the nine full suit and everything else and the suit he wears that day into the building his ring gear mm-hmm. will match really yeah you didn't yeah. notice that no I didn't yeah so when he walked in last Sunday wearing the white suit he had on a white outfit huh. in the ring when we had him on the one um, super crazy show he had on a purple outfit and he had on purple gear huh. did not notice yeah. that I will notice that next right. time right and he changes his outfit every single time and gotta mind you he is 63 years old and he's still going in this business so very few. I can only name two off the top of my head that are still going like that. He, lo- he looks like an 80s wrestler. Right. And so does Mr. Ulala, but still. Yeah. So we got two more questions because I'm yeah. going to do the last one. Our five questions to him is the last one we're doing. <laughs> but Sorry, I want to I want to ask you about a geek out moment. Ooh. Okay. Geek out. It's okay yeah. to geek out. And like if you see something yeah, in the back. You, I can, we, we both did it at Icons. I'm not going to deny uh, it. We, I do it all the time because like it you've was, seen people you, you looked You saw the to. powers of pain walk by. And you geeked out. It was really cool to have a conversation with Samu. It and, was. And it, that was geeking out. It was out. fun. Like David right. Arquette, David, yeah, oh I, I geeked out for him when I met him. Well, David Arquette is responsible for the day pictures. For the days, Derek. When we um, see you again, we had to do a day picture. Oh, okay, absolutely. <laughs> I'm down. Okay, so real quick before you ask like, the next the question, question, you want to tell him about the day question? Uh, no, day no I want to tell him about the uh, Jerry Briscoe day uh, geek you out. You had to tell him why we do I, a day I, picture. I saw, so, so like I, I, I before you, I, I'll just mention something really with Briscoe. Just kind of like a fun uh, thing here too is that like I, I was kind of alluding earlier that um, there was a buddy of mine that wound up getting uh, just through meeting folks in the WWF merchandise department of uh, the main guy who we uh, first started talking to and it really he was a friend through the guy uh, Greg who I met in college um, who had introduced us uh, but uh, the merchandise his name was uh, Jimmy Miranda and uh, it, it was so f- uh, interesting just seeing unfortunately he passed away God I want to say it was around 2000 Two maybe around that period, but wow. um, he he would hook. They actually did a tribute to him on Raw, like one of the very few non-talent um, you know personnel that worked for the company. Uh, Jim Ross actually did something. They they showed Jimmy's um, picture just on a Titan Tron, just how much he meant to the company. But yeah, unfortunately he passed away. But it, he he was such a pleasure uh, to uh, to meet that guy, and he and um, his assistant uh, Derek, who now uh, works. Uh, unfortunately he was let go 
during the uh, um, during the layoffs there too, but was recently rehired back there too. Um, I they would hook us up with seats. Now, obviously, we had to provide our own transportation, me and a buddy of mine. But you know, we would travel when we had more time on our hands, you know, and, and more disposable income around the country. Uh, I went to uh, WrestleMania um, um, up in uh, uh, you know I had one of the best WrestleMania I think of all time. Uh, folks regard as WrestleMania 17 in Houston, mm. um, Texas. Um, I was there for that. Uh, WrestleMania 18 up in Toronto, Canada. Um, I, I was for the legendary Hulk Hogan versus Rock match. Uh, I was there for that, and, and there was absolutely nothing like it. Uh, but yeah, we used to see like a lot of the talent just at the, like the hotels and everything. We saw Jerry Briscoe um, at a hotel, and and uh, a buddy of mine couldn't resist. He just said, uh, "Walk by." Uh, he goes, "Yes, sir, Mister McMahon." And of course, oh, all that had had finished at the day. And Briscoe just he was a good sport, and he said it right back to he's yes sir mr mcmahon <laughs> so uh Briska, he's just a good guy a good sport um sad to see him laid off i know he's staying active though with his podcast now but i just had to get that little thing in with Briska before you mentioned what you were going to go into so we were hanging out one night at house of hardcore right here in philadelphia and david arquette was on the show and we're sitting there hanging out and now there was probably about five daves with us so my whole thing is in life i wanted to make people go be friends with every Dave I can be. Is that Dave Meltzer? The, these are the friend. Daves I know. These are the Daves I know. And um, so my whole thing is like at work, I met these guys, like all these Daves. So it was like, hmm, I should like hang out with all these Daves at work. So when somebody goes, hey, Dave, we all go, yes. It's the comedy in my head. You know what I mean? I'm laughing about it all the right. time. So I thought about, oh, dude, let's get a five Dave picture and boom, right there. And then we got the five Dave Daves pictures and five people named Dave. David Arquette made us make the D with our hands and everything else. Oh, did he? Yeah. I didn't do it. No, David Arquette did. Oh, David Arquette did? Yeah. Oh. And then, like, later on, I started going, hmm, Dave, let's go take pictures with people named Dave. That would be great. And then I'm like, it's kind of hard to find people named Dave. Ah, this is a great idea, and let's get name tags saying my name is Dave and put it on their shirt. And that's where the Dave pictures come oh, in. Got it. It's a little small. I, little I remember Dave. I was just going to say Dave Sullivan gimmick. Sullivan <laughs> backwards. That was the yes. first thing that popped in my mind. So we're hanging out at, at uh, Icon's back in December and I'm talking to Jerry Briscoe and Jerry Briscoe notices our shirts. My buddy Jason, who's one of the ring announcers I work with, I'm like, can you hook it up? He's like, go ahead. I'm like, okay, cool. So we go to stand over next to Jerry and Jerry goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. He starts grabbing a piece of paper and writing the name Dave on it. I'm like, no, 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 no. We have this covered. And I, I handed him one of the name tags. And he goes, oh God, you guys thought of everything. He puts it on and Jerry Briscoe goes, this is over. This is great. And I'm like, wow, coming yeah. from a legend like Jerry Briscoe thinking our stuff is over. Yeah. Um, that guy kind of geeked out with that. That was pretty freaking cool. Thank you. Isn't it, isn't it <laughs> such a pleasure, though, when, when you meet talent like folks that you respect and they really wind up turning into down-the-earth guys that are, like, super cool to be with? I don't think there's, like, a greater feeling no. that's, you know, related to wrestling, just meeting somebody who you respect, hold, hold in very high regard, and they're very genuine people and, you know, just like anybody else. But at the same time, sometimes there's people that go the other way. But, yeah. Oh, 
absolutely. I know a couple. You know, so do I, but... I don't want to talk to them. No. I, I put a list in my head that I don't want to do interviews with. Nope. And I can think of plenty, but we're not going there. Yeah, we could tell you after the show, but... Right now, oh, yeah. <laughs> but we don't want to put it out there, but... All right, to quote the great band Europe... What is your your favorite geek out moment? Mine? No, not yours. Derek. <laughs> Nobody wants to know um, about you. I, so, so I think that so the first, um, I guess, uh, talent um, who I wound up meeting was actually just, uh, and, and this was at the time when, like I said, I was getting smartened up by uh, my friend Greg, who I went to college with. And of course, I knew just, I noticed in, in, in we had a golf class together, and he had a WrestleMania pen jacket on. So naturally, we just started kind of talking in conversation. And I was like, oh, wow. It's like, he really knows like the insides of like something because he had met talent and all at the time. But uh, we went out. To, um, we went out to uh, uh, Sabatino's, which those you know might know is a very popular hangout just in Little Italy in the Baltimore area. Whenever you know guys come to town, and uh, we had uh, we had dinner uh, with uh, Bill Dunn, who was uh, that's a name from the past, uh, ring announcer at the time in WWF, and I think that's when they were working on trying to get. Uh, you may remember him. Do you guys remember Bill Dunn? I do. Yeah, I think I do. You do. Okay. Like, uh, so, yeah, so, like the so that was really kind of yeah. Yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. He was at WrestleMania 10, just like the opening match and the closing match, just subbing for Finkel because uh, Finkel did that thing with uh, Harvey Whippleman, I guess, and, and all. But um, and getting the, the hair and all that stuff. Oh uh, yeah, uh, they didn't have that match at, at at Mania, but of course, it eventually led to that. Uh, let's right. try to our best. To, let's try our best to forget that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was kind of a geek out moment just because I you know I was I was uh, at the time just because uh, you know just being young and oh wow I'm actually meeting somebody who you know is, is on TV. Um, I wouldn't say that, that you know just, just me and Bill itself wasn't like a huge geek out moment necessarily for me, but that was like kind of like the first geek out moment of meeting like somebody who worked for the company that you know I really at the time emulated. Um, what really there was a show there was a house show in Hershey, uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, where mm-hmm. we took uh, a guy who I mentioned, Jimmy Miranda, to, and it was it was a big snowstorm that night, and we had yeah. to drive him. So we picked him up from the airport at Philly, and we took him to Hershey, and then uh, after the show, we had to drive to D.C. because that was for uh, Raw uh, that was in D.C. that night, and uh, that that was that was something else. But at the show at Hershey, obviously, you know, you go to a house show, a little bit more, uh, obviously, a lot more laid back atmosphere. Oh yeah. Uh, we had we had a chance to meet. Uh, you know, I had always wanted to meet the Hardy Boys uh, at the time. So it was at that show I had met uh, both Matt and Jeff Hardy. And uh, you know, I, I see I still smile when I see people to this day talk about meeting, like you know, and I want to say like even Matt Hardy in particular about how like absolutely pleasant uh, that and what a class act Matt was, and he truly was. Uh, I remember. Uh, I mean, he 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 made conversation with my buddy for a couple minutes a very very genuine photograph with us I was like this is so super cool um, that, that he took the time to do that and, and Jeff Jeff was pretty uh, nice too but he, um, but yeah I, I had always wanted to meet them just because I you know I, I like their style you know just yeah, kind of going, growing right. up and, and seeing the attitude there I was like wow I really like what these two do in the ring and I thought they had a you know a great future um, you know who was also was very pleasant was was Deborah McMichael mm-hmm. I remember seeing her in, in Philadelphia and she was she was 
was extremely classy. Uh, a, a lot of the folks up there, uh, you know, just at the time, just very down to earth, very humble people. Molly yeah, Holly, you know, for example, Molly Holly of all people, like she would. Um, uh, there was we were after a show. I want to say I think it was after that show in D.C. Actually, that I was that I was talking about. She actually um, after the show was over, she she joined the ring crew, and she had a hat on just to try to avoid being you know recognized <laughs> or much. But she was helping out on the ring crew, you know, just, which I thought, wow, that is super cool. But yeah, my geek out moment, I, I think, would probably be meeting the Hardys. I did meet Triple H as well too. Um, the Rock, oh my God, yeah, I met, I met, just uh, was, I was there with my buddy Greg. Now all we took was an elevator ride down together, but that was, <laughs> that was special about the Tigers. Rock was certainly it was at his pride, so we had a couple words uh, uh, okay. just on the way down. But I but I thought but I thought that was uh, super cool. Oh, another elevator ride that was totally not planned was uh, we were at a pay per view up in Buffalo, New Mercy, uh, two thousand, and um, uh, elevator I had opened on my you know I, I forget whatever floor I was on, but you know it's like like down to the lobby, and who gets in the elevator? Uh, and it's just me in the elevator at the time, but Edge gets in the elevator. Oh, wow, that's pretty <laughs> cool. Me. So we we, we kind of struck up conversation there, and I, of course I wished him the best and everything, and vice versa as well too. But that was cool. So yeah, no, number of geek out moments, I guess for me. You well, know? I think one for me. And it was pretty cool. Was actually sharing a beer with James Storm. Oh, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we, were, we were at the last. I, I, cha- oh, I also and, I shared a I shared a cigarette on that same same topic. I dumped in my memory. I shared a <laughs> cigarette with Jerry Martell on the wow. outside of BWI. Oh, that's mm. so cool. Yeah, James Storm, one of the most awesome guys. To, Sorry about your damn luck. Right, but I mean, we we he, we just talked. Nobody was coming up to his table. I'm like, dude, it's James Storm. Nobody wants to meet James Storm. Come on. I did. No, yeah, like really, it was really cool to meet James Storm. Right. Now, did you get Vir- now, speaking of going up to his table, did you get Virgil the same treatment? Virgil wasn't there. If Virgil was uh-huh. there, if he was there, it would have been a different story. All right, uh, uh, God. <laughs> now, I saw that. I saw him up at Wawa in New Jersey, and this was when he had just started kind of making his rounds and getting known for you know kind of how he is nowadays. It was the but old he, he was convention center. There was <laughs> a, Wild, so Wild, yeah. yeah, Wild Wildwood Convention Center. Me and a, a group of buddies went up and happened to see him there, and it wasn't like a wrestling related convention. No, um, what is it? The monster truck. He's usually right there with that monster truck thing, and he sits in uh-huh. there, and that's where he signs. But WWF I used to love doing, Virgil. Yeah, I used to love doing the Wildwood shows. They were always fun. See, me with the <laughs> virtual thing, I had to have DiBiase right there, too, mm-hmm. so I can get them both signed. You mean the Reverend... Ted DiBiase? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Whatever you want to call him. <laughs> okay. This I, I, still, I, I, still, I still feel he was the greatest heel of all time. Oh, DiBiase, I agree. The million dollar I agree. Correct. So, moving, moving on to our last question. The hell was that? That sounds a little scary. We get ready to see a horathon? Yes, <laughs> yes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the five questions of <laughs> so, well, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm a big fan of horror movies. Again, surprise, surprise, it's the classic horror movie. So, no, it, it sounds like a pretty cool statement. So, Five Questions Doom is non-wrestling questions. So, question number one. Oh, here question we go. Question number one. McDonald's? Oh, my gosh. McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's uh, or Burger King? God. 
God. There's reasons why I like both of them, uh, but I, I think I'd still have to overall the whole product. I'd have to go with McDonald's. But uh, so McDonald's, the fries, the menu offerings, uh, but Burger King, yeah, love Burger King burgers over McDonald's. But uh, See, now, the taste, I, the flame broiled, but the overall package has got to go to McDonald's. In my opinion, for me, honestly, I would go to McDonald's for breakfast and then go to Burger King. Oh, for I lunch. love, I love, I love their, I love their breakfast. I, I think McDonald's. It's so, it's so rare is that I have breakfast nowadays. But when I go right. there, it's like the hash browns, the hot cakes. There, I pig out. I hate by it. Yeah, no, you're fine. But I mean, I, I just think the McDonald's um, breakfast package is better than the Burger King. I and concur with that. Vice versa for lunch. Although I, although I will plug uh, Burger. Kings up French toast six though. Oh my god, yes, I agree. Completely agree with that. Okay, okay. Ready for question number hit the music. Question number two. Monsters or Adam's family? (laughs) Probably gonna have I'm gonna have to go with the Adam's family, I think, on that one. I do like that on family. They, they had this game. If you still look up on uh, Genesis, so uh, again, I'm really dating myself here, but my first gaming console was the Atari. Uh, but eventually, um, of course, the, the Genesis game, uh, days came, and I had a game called Pugly Scavenger Hunt on that. It's still regarded as one of the most difficult games. I never wow. did finish it, unfortunately. But uh, it, it, I was determined to beat that thing, and I'm usually still pretty gay. You know, occasionally I still play some games you know, to this day, but that game, if you look it up, it's just it's hard as hell. You see so many people bitching and complaining about it because of the difficulty of that game. Ready for question number three? Question number three. Fred Flintstone or George Jetson? Fred Flintstone or George Jetson? <laughs> Wow. I'm going to have to, I, because I just, I love the whole futuristic thing when I was a kid, I'm going to have to go with George Jetson. I, I just, I, I love the whole Jetson mantra, just wondering what the future was going to be like, flying cars. Uh, but I mean, but that, the movie too. I, 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 I say that, but at the same time, Fred Flintstone, there's parts of him I kind of go back to like all in the family, you know, yeah, with Archie yeah, Bunker kind of being Fred Flintstone. So that part I think is absolutely hysterical. But do you, you remember know? the movie, Jetsons Meet the Flintstones? Yeah. I oh I, I do remember the movie, but I never saw it. I saw it. So, I it. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Question number Question number four. Four. Oh my gosh. Longest road trip. Longest road trip. Well, if I'm gonna be technical about it, my longest road trip was cross country. <laughs> from from uh, when I moved out Country to California road. for that, uh, when I moved out to California for a year and a half, and uh, so I, it took me. I guess it was about three days. Uh, I made pretty good timing out there, but uh, yeah, I, I literally drove cross country from Maryland to L.A., California, just to you know. And, and I moved out there for, like I said, for about a year and a half, and um, it kind of seeing just you know, it, it was a thrill. It was a thrill driving through just America, you know, yeah. and and and. And, and seeing, you know, kind of, okay, you know, West Virginia, I drove it through at the time. West Virginia, I still see the song in the back of his head now. Yeah, Country Roads. West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. But uh, I still, that state is so unique just because it's like there's no flat land. It's like you're either going up, down, left, 
right, you know, at any given time. It's like, what a race. <laughs> it's like playing a video uh, game. I, I remember when GPS was, uh, was first kind of introduced in the market around like 2005, 2006, and uh, I, I had it for a job uh, that was a travel position, and I had, it was telling me like, turn turn left here, and if I would have done that, it, it, I would have driven right off a mountain. <laughs> so uh, so that, that's how, what the mountains kind of did to really GPS, um, I guess, at the time. But yeah, technically speaking, my longest road trip was, it's going through, okay, so, you know, you go through Kansas, you know, uh, you drive through, um, you know, Wisconsin, and, and, you know, you kind of see what you see out there just in terms of just bare flat land. Uh, but I tell you, man, when you start driving through Colorado, oh, just absolutely beautiful. Utah, beautiful. You know, two totally different states, but just states of beauty in their own right. I remember Utah, it was maybe about like one o'clock in the afternoon out there at the time. And it's like the sky was like pink and purple, you know, in the afternoon. And it was just, it was really cool to see with like all the mountains. So, you know, e- e- even though kind of seeing like, you know, like desert like conditions just like out in Utah, you know, and, and yeah. so different from Colorado, it's just, it, each state, you know, it kind of has its own beauty in its own right there. Too. Colorado is Springs and Colorado Springs driving through that. Just absolute beauty. Okay, let's do question number five and question number five. Favorite James Bond movie. Favorite James Bond movie. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think for again, dating myself, but I got to go back to Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow. Uh, I, I love the, I love the whole media um, aspect of it there too, just with, uh, and the whole plot, you know, towards it with, uh, you know, cre- actually the you know, creating incidents, you know, that happen and, and for purposes of coverage there too. So I just, I, I love the plot of that one, I think. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with that one. I, I'm a big Dr. No fan. I love that film. Are you? Yeah. yeah. Sean Connery's will always be my favorite James Bond, but I do like Daniel Craig. So he's on, he's yeah. number two. See, why does nobody talk about Pierce Brosnan? Because he's not That only. one, it was, yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies was Pierce Brosnan. Right. Right. That one, but that might not have been what, you know, you were referencing. So. No, like, I think, I think you were just I commenting Going Daniel Craig, yeah. 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 Golden Eye was um, his best, I think. And I mean, nobody mm-hmm. talks about um, Roger. Roger, Roger Moore. Moore. Nobody talks about Roger Moore. Because Roger Moore movies went to a weird way. After, like, Moonraker, I think it's the worst Bond movie mm-hmm. ever. But um, that's my opinion. I mean, they took the K out of there and put a P. That's what that movie was. Yeah, sure. Okay, and I like Timothy Dalton better yeah, than... Timothy Dalton was good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my favorite Pierce Brosnan movie wasn't a James Bond movie, so... This is Doubtfire? Oh, yeah. Okay. I Damn knew right. it was. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the five questions of... This is this is um, the social media part. Do you have any social media for the fans? Oh, uh, uh, media for what? I'm sorry, I, I missed that. Do you have for any your plugs for your plugs? Like oh, social media okay, plugs. there we go. You know, you can catch me on uh, Facebook and Twitter. I, I don't want to say, yeah, I'm, I'm all around media on TikTok. Again, I'm old fashioned there too, but yeah, active on certainly pretty active on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, you guys, want to come check me out? Dazzling Derek Benish. So one of the things that I like to say before we end the show, when you come on the 2300 wrestling podcast you become part of our family so I welcome really, to the family i really do mean it welcome to the family well thank you and and it's really been a pleasure to do and i really appreciate you guys reaching out and asking me to do this uh, um like i said uh it, it just you, you do have a lot of old school folks that are maybe frustrated with the direction that the wrestling industry has kind of gone in over the years uh but still have that fire still that passion for the style that they grew up on that that uh just you know, in many cases that style is new to 
to today's audience there too that certainly didn't grow up in that time. So uh, you know, just having the opportunity to perform and um, the opportunity to kind of just kind of show that style uh, to some of today's younger uh, fans is, is, is definitely a pleasure. Uh, well, uh, certainly giving some nostalgia to some of the older fans that are still around. Oh yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much. And no, I really thanks, do no, mean. Thank you. I do mean everything. I I'm going to hit the ending button and then we'll do the little promo and then mm-hmm. and then um I I have a couple like I have a note for you at the end of everything, but I'm going to go yeah. off it. So okay, I'm going to hit the button. Not that Ready? button. Not the gumdrop. Not this button. Not the gumdrop button. Not the gumdrop button. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. This has been the 2300 Wrestling Podcast. I'm Dave Keener alongside DB Richards, and we'll see you in the ring. And I would also like to thank Dazzling Derek Beneshi for coming on our show today. Benish. Benish. Just say it, Benish. Right. He did that. Repeat after me. Thank you again. Oh, spawns of Satan. You heathens. You deviants. The end times are near. But until then, you are listening to the 2300 Wrestling Podcast. Sam Alfalsi here. And Zach Ravix. Super Crazy Wrestling. Super Crazy Arena. Skiver Academy. We are indeed the best facility in New Jersey. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, Probably no in the world. Extremely top three, I would say. We have very terrific trainers. Actually, they all come from uh, the Ring of Honor Dojo. So yeah. you already know you're... So they're going to be great. They're definitely great. Oh, yeah, for sure. You're going to experience some, you know, pretty elite stuff. Uh, you know, we're all about intensity here. You know, uh, we're, we're always here to help. We're, we're always reach one, teach one. That, that's our main thing. You know, I feel like if you're a person that really feels like wrestling is your dream and that's what you want to accomplish, this is the best school to come to. Or burn. Or, or burn. Okay. Oh, what Brack said. So, uh, once again, you know, best school probably in the world. Definitely in Jersey. You can find it. You can find it on Facebook, uh, Super Crazy Wrestling and Scare Row Academy. And Instagram, Super Crazy Wrestling, Scare Row Academy. So you can contact Melissa Pena or Odog. And he'll come find you if you don't find him. Or I will. Or, or Brax or, will. Or Brax. You'll burn. No, you won't burn.